Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about getting better clients. Yes. So an overarching theme of episode 100, when we had Seth Godin on, was talking about uh, getting better clients. And we talked about it explicitly a little bit, but I think there are many parts of the episode where it was more of an underlying theme. So we wanted to kind of pull all of that together and dedicate an entire episode to that concept. Yeah. And Jonathan, what struck me when he was talking about getting better clients is it it was sort of like the next thing out of his mouth was who will trust you more and who will pay you more. And I felt like that really ties to our theme of why you want to build authority. I mean, those are two of the the potential outcomes from becoming more authoritative on your topic. Mm -hmm. I'd like to kind of restate the the point where it came up in the episode, at least from my perspective, and we can sort of like uh, talk about the nuances between our two worldviews. We started off talking about how kind of have this framework for uh, folks that go a potential growth journey for someone who goes solo would be to start out as a technician and where they're really focused on their kind of core skills and getting better at their core skills and kind of operating like all they need to do is get better at their skills and that will automatically attract clients. And then there's a level where you you turn into more of an expert level person where you're perhaps not applying your skills directly so much anymore and more so advising people about the application of those skills or, you know, something like that. It's more advisory or consultative at that level. And then an authority level if you choose to go that far down the path where you're a little bit more of like a thought leader type and you're doing uh, activities like writing books or speaking at conferences or doing higher end consulting where people are really uh, seeking you out to get your take on their situation. And and you probably start to have a larger audience and bigger individual clients or at least people who are in your audience. So you've got uh, a broader and deeper pool of potential clients, if you will. And one of the things that Seth mentioned that I, of course, loved was at the low end of the scale, like the solution, if you just want to become just increase, if you just want to increase your income, you're not interested in becoming a thought leader or anything like that, or writing books or speaking at conferences, just get better clients. And if you go into any sales meeting with the thought, not like trying to close the deal or what's the most money I can get from this person, instead of looking at it like that in kind of a mercenary way, think like, is this client going to get me better clients? And look at it as a reputation play kind of, or is this going to be a bad client for me? Like we all know when the red flag clients come through the door, sometimes you feel like you have to take them because you don't know where your next rent payment's going to come from or whatever. And we know it's a bad thing to do, but we'll worry about that later. (laughs) But but what the point that's being called out here is it's not just that one engagement that is a drag. Like you can get through it and you paid your rent in the meantime and you know you got through a rough patch, let's say, kind of suffering with the emotional distress that comes with having a red flag type of client that's just not a great fit for you. But there's a bigger damage and it's kind of like an opportunity cost thing, but it's even even bigger than that, I think, which is that having bad clients in my experience, tends to get you more bad clients. Oh, it's insidious because you start to tell yourself that that's all you're worth is getting this client who's you know is wrong for you for whatever reason. Yeah, and and then imagine that they're referring you to their friends. <laughs> like yeah, get, so all you're your like, leads no. are bad clients, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, I know. 
everybody knows this. If you take on a bad client, uh, especially designers, but, but developers or whatever it is that you're creating, you're probably not doing your best work. They're probably destroying it. You know, like, oh, let me get a little bit of design one and a little bit of design two mashed together. And you're doing this Frankenstein stuff just to get through the engagement. And you're not proud of it. So it's like a triple whammy where it's a drain to go through the actual engagement. When you're done, you get really nothing out of it except for the money. And it's probably going to lead to more bad clients. Either they're going to refer you to bad, oh, this this person's really cheap. You should get it. Oh, <laughs> like, my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> Recommending you because you're a good deal. That's not good. So it's, it's this triple whammy of of badness. It's like a, a, a downward spiral. The way to pull out of that nosedive really is to make a decision that you're only going to work with better clients. So every client you take on, you want it to be better than the last one. Then you can start doing, uh, you'd be more proud of your work. Eventually you'd be doing amazing work for these clients who came to you because of your superpower, whatever it is. And they specifically want you. And, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but that's the cycle you want to get in. And as you become more well-known for this particular maybe outcome that you deliver or uh, whatever it might be, then that kind of word is going to spread instead of like, oh, this guy's a bargain into like this person is a fortune, but it's totally worth it. Well, it also gives you the language to start to talk to your better clients, right? Because each one will teach you something that you didn't know before about how to attract that client. And so I always think of this in terms of, I can't help myself, I think in terms of web copy, because as you're developing your craft and your business, you can get hyper-specific about who you want to reach. And I don't just mean I want this job title, this level, this size of company. I mean, people who think and talk a certain way. Through copy, whether it's through content marketing or just website copy, you can craft that message and hone it so finely they just come to you begging to work with you. Right. Yeah. This is the laser focused positioning I always talk about. It's like laser focused, super focused. And I've been having this conversation more and more recently. I just did the ditching hourly workshop on Monday and Tuesday. And a big part of it was people saying like, oh, well, I want to niche down to uh, small to medium enterprises. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're down to about, what is it? 25 million in the U.S. alone or, you know, some like absurdly high number. I could go into a long thing about like, just go, just go to the Las Vegas Convention Center event list for like 2020 and you will not believe like there you'll see real niches there air quotes because still 5,000 people are going to like automotive aftermarket repair parts 5,000 people it's like it's it sounds impossible that 5,000 people would go to Vegas for that that conference but the point is everybody I've ever worked with has resisted the idea of getting hyper focused and even when they think they're doing it it's not even close so it's it's extremely unlikely that you could pick uh, a niche that's too small it's like i've never had anybody do it mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's in our nature one. yeah but it's in our nature not to do that it's, we still no matter how much we think we need to niche there's like oh but i could really help this group over here and i don't want to turn this group off mm-hmm yeah, that's where unisex haircuts come from. Like, you know, salon, unisex haircuts. Like, nobody wants a unisex haircut. I mean, maybe someone does, but that's a great example of someone who's just, like, trying to please everybody. 
Uh, well, I can cut everybody's hair. So it doesn't lend itself to authority, that's for sure. And it reminds me of a, a very closely related, related topic, which is setting boundaries for yourself between like what you will do, what you won't do, what kinds of clients you work with, what kinds you won't, what sort of red flags that you will not ignore. And when uh, time boundaries around when clients are allowed to get in touch with you, time boundaries around what is uh, what expectations to set about responsiveness, contacting on the weekend, at night, frequency, all of these things are things that um, we've talked about before. I talk about all the time with my students, but they're very tactical and low level, but it boils down to uh, essentially getting better clients. That's what it leads to. So you're like, you know, I'm not going to do that. So somebody comes through the door and they say, Hey, I'll pay you this money to do this, but you know, I want you to do it my way. And I'm like, Nope. So that takes a lot of security, maybe a little bit of courage or um, confidence at the very least. I think it boils down to confidence to say like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like I can put you in touch with somebody who might do that, but that's not how I work. That piece right there saying no to a lead is a critical skill, I think. Just before we got on this, I was on a call with a referral. Love this guy. He's a, a tech genius. When I say tech, I mean a, he's created an app. I won't say anymore, it's, but it's wonderful. I really bought into his vision and he's amazing. But he was connected to me to see if I could help market his company. He said, how many of these have you done? I said, zero. I don't do consumer marketing. <laughs> and he was, he was put off for a second, but then we wound up talking about building his authority as the founder of this particular app and how it works in, in larger society. But it's like, he didn't know what to say when they said, well, I've done exactly zero. <laughs> but what yeah. would I do? I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of zeros after the possibility of doing this work, but I'm not going to present something that I don't do and, and suggest that he use me instead of somebody who's done, you know, five or 10 of these and is going to be brilliant at it. You have to have the confidence, even when you go, oh my God, I'd love to work with this person or this company. You, ha you have to say no. Right. Yeah. I've said, it, this co question comes up, people say, um, uh, they don't want to, uh, you know, update the copy on their website to speak to, specifically to dentists. They want it to be like medical professionals or professionals or small business owners or like blurry, blurry, blurrier. Here's what I tell them. And it's true, which is that, well, if you do focus down to dentists and you get really specific with, you know, their, you know, you don't say customers, you say patients and so on and so forth. And you go through the whole that that whole thing, even though you're always talking to dentists and all your content marketing is for dentists and you go to dental conferences and that's where you speak and you do podcasts about how to, you know, whatever, market dentistry or create software systems for dentists. Doctors are still going to come to you and other people, other professionals like chiropractors are still going to come to you and, and it, it totally changes the power dynamic where they'll say like, geez, I know you only work with dentists, but could you make an exception in my case? And they'll state their case. And like, I really think what you do is applicable to me too. <laughs> I really, you know, I buy into this. I think it would work for us. Would you please take my money basically? And that's totally true. That does happen. The thing is you don't, you probably are in a situation where once that starts happening, you've got so many dentists lined up that you don't need to take on the chiropractor. So maybe you've got some sort of product that they can buy, or maybe, you, and, and this is another thing I'll say to the students, if you want to take on the chiropractor because you need the money, you can, but just recognize that 
it's probably not going to do anything else for you but the money. It's not. It's going to get you worse leads because you're trying to focus on dentists. It's going to blur your marketing if you put it on your website. So you don't want to do that. So you're not going to get a testimony, a usable testimonial out of it. You're not going to get good referrals out of it probably unless they hang out with more dentists than chiropractors. And you know, and you're really just doing it for the money. So fine. So so this usually calms people down. But then when they finally get into it and, and do it and the, the, the flywheel starts to spin, they don't care anymore because they're like, oh, I've got, you know, I've got plenty of leads from the kind of people who I do want to work with. Yeah, you, it, you get to the point where you don't want to dilute your message. Yeah. You just, and, you... and you're so used to it. You're so used to how easy it is once you've picked someone that you're like, I don't know how I ever did it the other way. What was I thinking? <laughs> Seriously, what was I thinking? Yeah. It's hard. I'm, I'm actually working with someone who's in a very new field. And the language in the field is really, uh, it just hasn't solidified yet. So it's, this is, so it's super hard to uh, position him because the kind of people that are interested in what he does there's no defined title for it. There's no, all the words are different. They're sort of synonymous. Like, you know, in the design where it's kind of like there's UX and UI and CD and CI and blah, 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 all these different things. Like they're all, they would all call themselves designers, but it, you know, there's meaningful differences perhaps to them, perhaps to their clients among all of these sort of sub-disciplines. And I know that's true, but it's just hard to be, it's hard to target like laser target one of them when there's not even a hundred percent clarity on in their own minds, what they do. So it makes it tough to kind of leverage the shorthand of an industry. If it's a brand new or a constantly changing industry, it's, it's much more challenging. At least it has been uh, in this particular case, everybody knows what a dentist is. Everyone knows, you know, or you could even go orthodontist if dentist was too broad, but for something that's like, I don't know, like cutting edge machine learning blockchain thing. And it's like, what is that position called inside of a fortune 500 company? It's like, uh, it's called about 10 different things, <laughs> 10 different companies call it 10 different things. But that's part of, I mean, we've talked before about developing your point of view, but that's, it's your point of view and your messaging, you know, over time you learn the words, if not the title, if the titles aren't consistent, then you develop this vocabulary with the words that will make your ideal client's ears perk up. Right. And, and that's, yeah. And, and my only point in bringing that up is that when, when it it's for me, I'm like, wow, this, this is really hard because it feels like the old way when you don't know who you're talking to. So yeah, exactly to your point, it's like, well, just make up a language. <laughs> there is no language yet. So you, it, I suppose that, yeah, the plus side is that you can start to define one and take ill-defined terms and give them an easy sort of um, handle, like put a handle on this ill-defined thing. And you could perhaps even craft like a, it's almost like a big idea. Like when, when Luke W wrote a book called mobile first and it was just like, boom, that immediately turned into like a hashtag. Like it immediately turned into a keyword search. It immediately turned into like a mantra. And you know, this is going back like, you know, 2008 or nine, maybe I don't remember when, but he took this kind of like concept and he labeled it. And then he was kind of like, then, you know, he was famous basically for that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's challenging when you start with something that's really amorphous. And so there, I mean, in my own client base, I've worked with people who've been in that space and they've done it for very particular reasons, but it is the slower road typically to getting word out and it can take off. It absolutely can, but you really have to be able to roll with the punches because you're, you're growing it organically and you have to be very responsive to how, how your target is reacting to what you're saying. It's a, it's, it's a little bit like, like driving a stick shift where you're playing with the, the gas and the clutch. You got to find that right balance and it just, it changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. I mean, and that's the big point. If it's not well-defined, if you're, if your target's not well-defined either because you haven't made the decision or committed to taking a stand, or it's just a new area where the language is just wishy-washy, it makes it a lot harder. So if you, if you can focus way down and get really specific and draw boundary lines around who you will and won't work with, and it's like a pretty clear boundary line and not like this fuzzy gray area, it, it works so much faster. It's like, it's, it's amazing. It's, and it, and it becomes easier for you to, anything you write just becomes way easier because you don't have to abstract everything into these high level terms that are tough for people to identify with. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we saying in terms of tactics uh, for getting better clients? I mean, I feel like so far we've said, first, know who better clients are. Make a list. Who are your dream clients? Write it down. We didn't say that yet, but that's a good advice. <laughs> um, and then once you know who they are, then craft some boundaries for yourself around like who you won't work with while you're trying to get those better clients. And then just in standing for something in your marketing or um, whatever whatever content you're putting out if you consider it marketing or not that's fine but it could be podcasting or speaking gigs or, or articles have it all really focused and get your big idea out there for a particular person for a particular um, niche what else can people do to get better clients that can't be everything well there's something i want to talk about which is maybe more strategic than tactical but it's come up so much since that interview is imposter syndrome oh good one mm-hmm. it's one of those things where sometimes you hear something and you know everything seems like that but i had two clients within i think two or three days of that interview tell me oh yeah i think it's imposter syndrome i just can't do x and I said, okay, you got to listen to Seth talk about, you know, imposter syndrome. And so I, I just think it's really important to know that everybody feels that when you're doing important work and that you just got to plow through it. Yes. Yeah, I hear it all the time. Yeah, it's not an excuse. Right. I mean, he put it really concisely. It's like if you're doing something important, it probably hasn't been done before at all by anybody. So, of course, you feel like you don't have experience with it because no one does. But you have to just do it anyway. Like, there's no other way to do it for the first time. I heard this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt recently, and she said, um, courage is more exhilarating than fear. (laughs) She's great. Isn't that it, though? You think about it because you go into, like, you're going to do some big idea and you go in and, and like most of us, you know, you want to do it, but maybe your knees are knocking, you know, when you think about it. But if all of a sudden, you know, channel yourself some Eleanor Roosevelt and you say, courage, it's way more exhilarating than fear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like taking your power back. Right. 
I always like to point out that courage is different than bravery or fearless. Courage is acting even though you feel the fear. It's choosing to act even though you feel the fear. I think that's really important. It's not like it's not like you're not going to feel the fear. You're going to. Like if you're doing anything meaningful, if you cuz when don't you feel the fear? When you're doing something that everyone knows how to do or at least lots of people know how to do. Building a website, their best practices. I've been building websites for 10 years. I know how to, you know, I know how to do it in a way that is right, that will work, that will give good results. Probably millions of people, at least a million people feel like, oh, I know how to build a good website, right? And they're like, and that's, they don't have, they don't have imposter syndrome around that because they're like, well, this is how it is done. And I learned these steps and that is what I am doing. So it feels safe. But if you, if I take any one of those web developers and say, okay, now instead of just doing general best practices for web development, we're going to start, you are going to start promising business results to your clients. Like you will make more sales if you hire me to build this website. And then they Mm -hmm. panic and it's like, (laughs) well, well, that's, I don't, I can't do that. It's like, okay, well, what can you do? Can you get them more leads? Can you get them more conversions? Can you drive more traffic to the website? Well, I can make it look better. I can make it faster. Well, will that have any kind of outcome for their business? It should. Okay, well, let's start Let's start promising that. It should. Yeah, I agree. If somebody pays you 10 or 50 or 100 grand to build a website, it should have a benefit for their business. So let's start promising yes, that. Yeah, and that's <laughs> when they start to panic because they're like, well, there's a... It, it might not work, right? Like that's the, it's like, yeah, it might not the work. Risk. Right. That's of the course. Risk. Right. If you want to make more money, you got to take more risk. And if you, and here's the cool thing is if you start to think like that, then it starts to change the entire way you approach your job. And you start actually, you start thinking less about like WordPress plugins uh, and compatibility and security stuff. And you think more about what's in the best interest of this client and what business goals are they trying to achieve? And you start to get better at it. And then you'll be like, oh, I don't feel like an imposter anymore. I can, when a, when a particular kind of client comes through the door, I have a high degree of confidence that I can deliver some kind of positive, you know, a particular kind of, of business outcome that is worth a lot of money. And, and this comes back to what we were saying earlier. It's like when a particular kind of client comes through the door, uh, then you're like, great. You've got your website is in bad shape. Uh, there's about, I can see 10 things that I could do to it that would probably double your sales. I'm so sure of that I'll give you a money back guarantee, so on and so forth. But if, if a different kind of client comes through the door and you're not so sure, and they're not the kind of client you want to work with, and it's a different, a completely different kind of web design project or web development project, you just say no. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, so. and the flip side is the, the client in that case, the client is going to be thrilled when you start asking those business outcome questions. They're going to be, oh, finally, this isn't a technician. This is somebody who can speak my language and gets it. That is, do not underestimate the power of that in your client's mind. It will pull them toward you. The right clients, those business-oriented clients, it will pull them right toward you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. You'll see them sit forward, like literally. Yeah. Right. It will yeah. differentiate you from everybody else out there. Almost everyone else that they'll talk to is going to be like, well, you know, I'll do these tasks for you. It'll probably take this many hours and I'll charge you this much per hour. And then you come in and you're like, let's talk about doubling your sales. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, yes, let's do. <laughs> yes, let's talk about that. 
Um, yeah. And so again, there's that virtuous cycle because if you, this right kind of client comes through the door, they're, they're a perfect fit for you. Actually, Michael Port talks a lot about this in uh, book yourself solid. I think it's great. It's like a great way to open up a conversation too. Like if you know who your ideal client is, so like if you want to get better clients to find better, right? That's like the beginning. What is, what is better? And it's not people who can afford me or people who value what I do. I mean, that's in there, of course, but that's not identifiable from the outside. So you want to pick some characteristics that are like easy to identify and for you and others. And like, oh, this would be an amazing client. Like these kinds of clients would be amazing clients. All right. So now you know what they are and going after them. You, you can actually say like when you meet one, even if it's not a sales call, it's like, you know, you're like a, my perfect client. I wonder if you're looking to do certain kinds of things because I feel like I could have a, a really big impact on your business in a positive direction. Is that something you'd be interested in talking about? And you, you can spot them like immediately when, you, when one comes through the door. Are there fewer of them? Yes, probably, but they're better, right? So like the, for by whatever definition of better that you have. So talking today, this reminds me of a story. Today I was in a Slack room and someone was saying, um, Oh, I want to, I want to position myself on, I won't out him on the podcast, but generic term, fairly generic term. And I was like, I don't, I understand those words, but it's meaningless to me. It doesn't, it, no Rolodex moment. I can't even think of a company that would fit this description because it was so generic. And I was like, give me some examples of some companies that you believe exhibit this. And he gave me a list of examples and they were all in a particular vertical. And I was like, well, just say the vertical. <laughs> and he was like, you know, no. it was kind of like, it was kind of like, it was kind of like the first one was, you know, it was um, people who have a fiduciary responsibility. And I'm like, what? and then, and then if he said after that accountants, and I was like, well, just do accountants. And he's like, yeah. well, if I, if I send out this email, but first of all, it, it, well, I could also do financial advisors and planners. And, yeah, I know. But for the time being, let's just target accountants and see if you can get phone calls with accountants. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to get when I send out an email to all my friends and say, hey, I'm working on this thing. Do you know any accountants? I'd love to have them review it. And he said, that's not going to be as many yeses. And I was like, correct. But the yeses, <laughs> <laughs> the yeses yeah. you get are going to be amazing yeses and yes. not a bunch of like, like soft, squishy, shallow yeses. So anyway, so it was, that was sort of fresh in my mind. It's like, do you know anybody who has fiduciary responsibilities at work? Uh, could you translate that for me? <laughs> and what's the first, what's the first thing you're going to say? Well, you're going to say, what do you like, like what? Like accountants. Yeah, I know some accountants. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Well, you know, it strikes me. There was another thing Seth said, and unfortunately I can't remember the context. Maybe you can. He, he talked about not playing small ball. Right. And as, as I was listening to you, that's what my reaction was, is this was someone who's playing small ball. It sounds like big ball because you're saying, oh, everyone with fiduciary responsibility as an example. But that's actually small ball because you're never you're never going to get the resonance, that emotional resonance that that is what makes people uh, listen to you, read your stuff, watch your stuff, buy your stuff. We have to have this headspace that says we're not going to play small ball. This is major leagues. Even when you're just starting out. Yeah, it's it's counterintuitive, but focusing on a smaller niche actually makes it bigger. It's almost like 
like a little like rabbit hole, but it's like this massive, this massive underground ecosystem. It seems like it's going to be small, but then you like go into it and you just can't believe how huge it actually is. It's kind of like going deep instead of shallow. It's the same amount of surface area, but instead of skipping across the surface, you know, it's just zooming past everyone. You're like going deep and covering the same, let's say the same distance or the same surface area, but it's in a particular place. So like, that's how you, that's how you strike gold. You're not going to strike gold skipping like a stone across a pond. You got to go straight down and just dig, dig, dig and get deeper. And it makes your, you know, if we're talking about content or content marketing or anything that you're sharing with the world, which you need to be doing, it's going to make it so much more compelling. It's so much more concrete and uh, actionable. And uh, it just clicks with people instead of being this sort of like hand wavy, best practice kind of like design should be user centered. It's like, yeah, no kidding. But like, (laughs) like (laughs) let me in, like let me into your world. Like, like meet me halfway at least. Well, it's building authority. I'm thinking of, of, of a guy who was emailing me and he was kind of stuck and, and he was doing branding for small and medium companies. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the differentiator? Like, and, he's, and he basically said, well, I read five books about this and I'm ready to do this. And I said, eh, that's not going to work. And um, so it was, he was focusing on a geographic area. So I walked him through a few questions. And, but he, he wasn't, he couldn't, kind of couldn't see this idea that niching, like actually picking an industry and really learning what he needed to know to be able to be effective I mean, he couldn't see it. Yeah, right. So something I've been doing to kind of de-risk this for people or like like make it feel less insane is to say, don't imagine that this is like forever and every man, your entire business is going to be targeting dentists. It's imagine it like it's an ad campaign and imagine that you just you're just going to have one service doesn't even have to be your whole business. I wish they would, but if someone's really panicking, I'll say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna design one thing. It's gonna be either an info product or a course, an ebook, a um, a productized service, something like some kind of workshop, something, and we're gonna position that thing really hard in a particular industry for call it three months, maybe six months, but it's temporary. So don't and that kind of will calm calm them down. Like, okay, I'm not like betting the farm. I don't have to like, because once people start to feel it, because it's like you said, you said he couldn't see it, right? It's, it seems counterintuitive. It's like a paradox. But once you start to feel it and you start to, okay, you've got this high level strategy, we're going to target dentists with this particular productized service for the next three to six months. Okay, that's, that's the strategy for achieving their objective. And then once they start doing the activities that are associated with that, they're like, oh, this is going to work. Like, this is totally different from what I was doing before. You have to take action. And, and you know, I'm a strategist, so for me, it always comes back to strategy. You have to have the right strategy, right being what you're going to do next, right? You have, to, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is what I'm going to stand for. This is my big idea. Here's my point of view. This is my target audience. And these are my, I call them sound bites, your key messages. And then you got to start, each action and guess what you're not going to hit a home run with everything you do i mean you might write an email or a blog post or or a page of web copy it's all connected but if you don't act you won't see it 
it, it, it's the momentum that you're building is is critical. And the funny thing to me about about momentum is how much we learn when we're doing that and things start to snowball a little bit and you're still learning. I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong, but you're still learning. You're saying, oh, I guess I shouldn't say it that way. I keep learning that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can't say it this way because this kind of person isn't going to get that. It's not going to make sense to them. So how else can I explain it? Because it's not their problem. It's mine. It's how can I explain it in a way that they'll get? Because I I want them to get it. I care about the outcomes. Yeah. 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 Like our job isn't to just know the answer. It's to get it across. So like I just did this in-person thing, right? And you can't, you can't get a better situation where, like I can't imagine a better scenario for like, coming at like I'm trying to get one concept across and I'll like describe it like this or use a different metaphor and you can see the look on their face it's not penetrating and then when it does they're like oh cool okay and then it's and then to your sound bites or like you're always learning a better way to say things or some some people a particular metaphor will work other people it they just don't get it because they just don't have the same cultural familiarity with like a pill bottle or whatever so they're you know it might take different things and so you're getting better at at taking this idea that you have, you know, the idea cold, like, you know, it, but it becomes your job to get it across, which is a different thing. But I do, I want to key off the word strategy that you brought up because that reminded me of a topic that relates to having boundaries. To me, the, I think this is pretty generally the definition of strategy or at least part of it is that it gives you a way to differentiate opportunities from distractions or another way to put that it is it sets up a a way for you to say no to th- or like a test for you to say no to things and i think it was steve jobs said great design is saying no to a thousand things and that's it's similar to the earlier conversation we were having about knowing what a better client is recognizing one when you see them and over ideally over time or immediately if you're really if you really want to go for it, just saying no to the ones that don't fit that description. And because that doesn't fit your strategy, your strategy, let's say, is I'm going to focus on selling this productized service to dentists for the next three to six months. And if somebody comes through the door, you're not, it bounces off your strategy, like your strategy rejects them. It's like, that's not my strategy right now. I'm not going to take the chiropractor right now because that's not part of the strategy. It's a focusing tool, really. Oh, 100%. I'm thinking of a number of different people that I've worked with where they're really quite brilliant and they've created a lot of really good content and ideas, but they haven't focused them. And so it becomes really hard for the audience to know what they're consuming because it's this thing one day and another thing the other day. And there's, there isn't a, an organized effort, I'll put it that way, around having them all relate. Whereas if you know who your client is, you can play with your content and delivery a little bit, right? Um, and if you know what your your tracks are, I think of them as sort of educational tracks, like what you want to teach about your area of expertise, you can play around in those. But you've got to, you have to have some focus or you're just going to be all over the place. And that's what happens when people are new to, you know, they sort of like, oh, she's like, Rochelle and Jonathan just beating me over the head. Like I have to do marketing. I have to do marketing. If I, you know, if I want to grow my business, I have to do marketing. And then they will a lot of times go search like tactics, like how do I do marketing? And it's just like find all these tactics, like, and they will 
try try different things and perhaps put a lot of time and money into trying them and then they fail because without a strategy you don't know which tactics to pick and you wouldn't know you know what I mean it's like I need I need more leads so I'm going to start paying for Google AdWords like well what do you put in the ad like what language do you use you haven't decided who you're going to try and reach so you know just as one example and but even worse you can do two different tactics that essentially are from different strategies. So like you copy Gary Vee and you copy Seth Godin, like whatever you do some stuff that Gary Vee does, you do some stuff that Seth Godin does. Well, those are, they have two, they're doing different things. Their high level strategy, their objectives are different. The strategies they're using to achieve those objectives are different. So of course the tactics that they're going to use are different and mutually exclusive. So in many cases, so you could be doing a bunch of tactics that are just pulling you in opposite directions and leaving you where you started. Well, that kind of points me to a direction of this copycat idea, which is that you can look at what other people who you admire are doing, and it's important to do that. You want to see what's working and what's not. But what's going to work for you is is not just based on you know your big idea and your audience, but it's also based on you, on what you do when you're firing on all cylinders, when you're in that genius zone. And for some people, I've worked with people where video is their thing. I mean, ask them to write a blog post, not going to happen. But they're fabulous on video. Well, guess what? You've got to use video <laughs> if that's the case, and vice versa. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to push yourself out of that comfort zone and do some different things. But over time, your best results are going to be things that tie to when when and how you are at your best. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm all about like removing any kind of friction, fr- friction in the process of sharing your expertise. So then there's two things there that that um, you bring up. One is that just do some just pick the thing that's easiest for you. And just do it like crazy. The thing that can be strategic about it is you need to still know what to say, though. <laughs> like, so, okay, like audio is really easy for, for me. I find audio really easy, but I still need to know what to say. So it's not like, um, so in addition to picking a, a medium that's really easy and sort of frictionless for you, that's not a strategy, of course. That's just like, okay, I've picked one thing that's going to uh, be my channel that is easiest for me to do. And uh, the strategy will be like, okay, well, what am I, what am I going to say? Where am I going to uh, share it? Who am I going to promote it to? Or I'm going to try and get it in front of. Yeah. Like the more we talk about this, the more I, I keep coming back to, you want better clients? Well, do you know who they are? That's a funny, a funny question to ask people like, oh, I want better. You know, they'll say like, uh, I want, I want to work with uh, customers who I really, it's like, okay, I want better customers. I want customers that value what I do. It's like, all right, like make a list of 20. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, just write down 20 companies that you wish were your clients. Well, how would I pick that? Like, well, (laughs) think about it. And so here's the funny thing. Like, why do you think this person is stuck? Why do you think this person isn't getting better clients? Because they don't even know, they don't even know who the better clients are for them yet. So it's no wonder that they're not magically appearing on their doorstep, right? I mean, that seems obvious when you say it, right? Like, there's the sort of the mechanics of what you have to do to define your audience, right? You know, who are they, all of this. But then the other part is, 
is the stuff that's not mechanical. It's the way they interact with you. And those are things you can find out when they email you to ask to talk to you. I mean, it's not like you you have to be hired by them to find out these things. So maybe you like to work with um, people who run a business versus people who run a staff function. Like I, I generally don't work with uh, with anybody who's got a head of marketing, it's like I don't want to. I don't want to work with. <laughs> please, please, don't take this in the right way. Any marketing people, but inside marketing people, I, I don't want to work with them. I want to work with the business owner because that's where I play my best game. Uh, the marketing person and I probably were not going to be in sync. So it's it's that really understanding who you want to work with. And that allows you to do your best work. But it that part has to kind of come from the experiences you've had. And if you're new to consulting, but you've been inside an organization, just look at every project. If you worked in, in a project-oriented environment, think of every project as a consulting engagement. And look at them and say, oh, the clients I liked were these people. These are the projects that I really did my best work on. Well, why? What was it about them? And when you start to excavate that, you can create this profile after you've done all the mechanics about they're in this industry, they're at this level, they have this problem. You can start to develop that piece so that you recognize them when you see them and you run like hell in the opposite direction (laughs) when you don't see the things that are important to you. Right. Yep. I had a great one the other day. I have a student who super pragmatic and said, I, I, I can't work with someone. I can't like if the buyer, if, if a lead comes in and that person doesn't make at least $200,000 and works at this exact kind of company that it's no point in me even talking to them. She's just like incredibly clear about it. And she's right for various reasons. I'm not going to like, I can't go into details or anything, but, but it's totally true because of the, the types of services she sells and the prices that she sets. No one, no one farther down the food chain is, they would just gasp and hang up the phone. You know, they'd just be like, that's impossible. I love that. I like to, for people to gasp and hang up the phone every so often. Yes. You're doing something wrong if you're not getting that sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Um, So define your better clients. What do your better clients look like in all of these different ways? And Prepare yourself to say no. Do your best work. with. You're not going to do your best work if you're not working with these better clients. And then hopefully and probably it turns into this virtuous cycle where you start getting more and more of them. Well, I think I also (laughs) want to add to Yeah, no problem. I think I also want to add to that, though. We're talking about clients. I think it also applies to what I call buyers, which are the people who might buy courses or information products. So I think uh, the same thing applies is that as you're figuring out who your clients are and getting better clients, you can get better buyers at the same time by really focusing on the audience you're serving and the uh, let's call it products, but the products that you're creating for them. I think we've come to the end. Have we exhausted that? <laughs> we've exhausted me. It's time for lunch. <laughs> Wait a minute, lunch? <laughs> it's noon where I am, and I, you're three hours ahead of me, Jonathan. Yeah, that's right. I'm a, time I'm for late, lunch. I'm I'm like three hours behind everybody. It's kind of I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a natural West Coaster. That might be it. That could be it. You you can move the fam out here and see, you know, see if that works. Right. (laughs) We'll see. Um, Okay, cool. So that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority.
Bye. Bye-bye.